Hello, and welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. Ted King here, hoping your summer is in full swing and amazing. Now look, this conversation is not a throwback, but it is one we recorded back in early June. Maybe even late May, I forget. Whatever it was, it's pre-unbound. I met up with someone I've known of for a good long while, but not actually known personally. Pro mountain biker, pro gravel rider, pro privateer, an esteemed professional of having a very, very, very good time, Ryan Standish is our guest today. He and I were in Emporia getting ready for Unbound, scoping out the course, preparing ourselves uh, for the weather as best as possible, the heat, the humidity of Kansas, just after Gravel Locos. And it was on a shared bike ride together, amid shared conversation, that I said, geez, this guy is fascinating. And this podcast ensued the following day. So, you can see how well we did with some of our pre-Unbound predictions, as this was recorded a good long while ago. You can also hear some of the trains that make Emporia the center of the universe. It is definitely a train-trafficked town. So let that be more than just a little bit white noise in the background. Let that be forgiven from our front porch recording studio. Let this also be a reminder that I love using AG1, and I'm extremely confident that if you try it, you will enjoy it too. It has simplified my life because I don't need to tote around five bottles of vitamin pills with me. I don't need to worry about cross-contamination, as this company is NSF certified. I know they're delivering the nutrition in real foods format, so that I'm getting the vitamins, minerals, micronutrients, and probiotics, and those very exciting, yet kind of ambiguous, adaptogens that I need to go about my day successfully. You have heard me spout on about AG1 for months now, so just give it a try. Visit drinkag1.com slash tedking. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash tedking. Get your five free travel packs in that year's supply of vitamin D on the house. Quick, easy, simple, just like AG1 itself. That's it. That's all. Please enjoy this conversation with Ryan Standish. So I'm thinking of starting a podcast called Sitting on Porches, Talking to Cyclists, taking a page out of Jerry Seinfeld's book. Uh-huh. Um, you're sitting in the seat that Paige was sitting in not too long ago. Oh, she was here too. She yeah. was on the pod. Um, there's something very peaceful about the pace of life here this week. Uh, when did you get into town? I got in Wednesday, so did Gravel Locos, mm-hmm. then came in, and then just been trying to ride a little bit of the course, mm-hmm. but... Like you said, it's peaceful. It's peaceful until Wednesday of the race, and then it's a whole whole different town. It is. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, they just started putting up the stickers. The The IRC stickers are now at Casa Ramos. I saw that. Yeah. But, yeah, all last week and up until the present, you'd hardly have any idea that anything going on. Um, I think you did a big one yesterday. What did you end up doing? One. I started in Madison, which is the last... Uh, Last aid, second, second and last. Yep, yep. <laughs> of the two in the hundred, um, and then rode out and did the bottom hundred miles of 
the 200 course. So down through Eureka, um, and then up Hamilton. Ended up, it was not 100 miles, it was 135. Holy smokes. Yeah. Okay. So. And yeah, I feel like there's sort of this optimistic, when I ride, I'm like, okay, I'll go 20 miles an hour. Give or take a mile an exactly. hour. Exactly. <laughs> and then that optimism, optimism is shot in the foot here. Yeah, it was... It was windy going down, like there was the, the south wind, yeah. um, and then, so that was pretty slow, it was like 16, 17, uh-huh. going down, and then coming back must have been 24. Hauling. Because it was, it was pretty close to 7. Yeah. Actually, not, that's not true. It was close to 8. That's a big day. <laughs> so it was a little more than, uh, a little less than 20 miles an hour, but. Um, any killer recon? We're not in the same race. Give me a spill the beans. What'd you learn? It looked a lot different to last year because the sun was out. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't uh, I wasn't scared that a tornado was going to come and suck me away. <laughs> no lie. I feel like that... Okay, last year was a bit of a muddy year. Admittedly, I wasn't here. But I feel like there's a... Kansans will say you can't predict the weather until you're basically experiencing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. Uh, by and large, this week has been fantastic, and so that means almost guaranteed next week is going to be, they'll throw a wrench into the system. Yeah, it's either going to be raining like last year, or yeah. maybe it'll be 100 degrees. Yeah. Could be a hot one. Bingo. Um, how, okay, this podcast will probably come out after the race. Uh-huh. Therefore, you can look really foresightful and really smart if you can predict a winner, a podium, who's going to do well, some outsider. Do you have any predictions for what's going to go down? There's too many, too many fast guys here to, yeah. <laughs> to make a prediction, I think. I feel like it, last year was an anomaly. I've, I've done two, so I can't really say anomaly. There's one hot year, one wet year. Mm-hmm. 2021 was hot and I think almost everybody punctured mm-hmm. once, mm-hmm. twice four times yep. and last year maybe a handful punctured yep. I think a lot of people didn't puncture so I think that's that's a piece that didn't see last year with the deeper field in the pro men's field there wasn't too much mechanical right. issues. Ironic since mud can also wreak havoc on a drivetrain. Totally. But do you think mud somehow softens the ground? That's what I'm wondering if all those sharp rocks instead of yeah. just smashing into them they sink a little bit yeah. in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I don't know the science. Sure, likewise. How about Okay, let's go pure predictions cuz now I want to okay. play the game. Um Do you think somebody from the Netherlands will be on the podium? Well, let's go podium three deep, not five deep. I mean, isn't there like, There's like 12? 12. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so their odds are pretty good of having... How deep's the podium? Three or five here? The actual podium is five. Okay. And actually, okay, given that you are a mountain biker and a mountain biker podium typically goes five, we'll play, we'll play the odds we'll games. Increase game, five. say five. Okay. Um, so you're saying, yes, there will be a Dutch person on the podium? Yes. Do you think the winner will be from the United States? U.S. passport? 
Yes. Um, what do you think that person's name is going to be? <laughs> I just am having a hard time looking past Keegan. I couldn't. I don't think. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be nice for someone to give him a <laughs> run for his money. Maybe Russell. Yeah, it is funny <laughs> they've that they've been riding together. Twenty twenty two Unbound is like the first race and feels like a decade that he didn't win. Oh, however, he got second place and he was the first in the lifetime Grand Prix, so he still accrued all the points. So he's still, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, again, admittedly, because this is going to come out after the race has happened, we're probably boring our listeners. Um, let's go. Let's go back. Um, you and I went for a bike ride just the other day, and that's where I got to learn a handful of really interesting things. For example, in the meantime, I've looked at a map of Australia. <laughs> and if you if you generalize the map and the country of Australia and you put your finger smack in the middle, you'll find a place called Alice Springs. Tell me about Alice Springs and why that is relevant to this conversation. Uh, that is, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Middle of middle of the outback I don't know maybe your listeners have seen the movie Kangaroo Jack or The Castle? No Are you familiar with The Castle? Oh The Castle yeah that yeah. movie is yeah. amazing I do not know Kangaroo Jack but, <laughs> but that, that was not in Alice right. Springs right, Kangaroo right. Jack they filmed that okay um, and and Priscilla Queen of the Desert okay through Alice Springs that's an older movie and that's relevant like yeah. the, the setting is supposed to be Alice Springs or just supposed to be like they, very outback both okay they film in Alice Springs and I think I don't know if Kangaroo Jack's in like they, if they call this Alice Springs but uh, yeah middle of the desert really good mountain biking not much for a long long time in any direction yeah, but it was it was cool growing up there. You can kind of roam around and uh-huh. ride bikes. I rode my bike everywhere in town. I mean, it's kind of like Emporia size wise. Yeah, it uh, looks like population twenty five thousand. Mm-hmm. When you say desert, is it like as soon as you leave, is it just barren, or is it like what is the mountain biking like when you say your mountain bike and the mountain biking's outstanding? I'd say <clears throat> the closest thing I've seen in the U.S. to the kind of uh, land out there is Tucson. Yep. Like, kind of rolling, rolling hills, sharp rocks. The trails are, it's like sand over over hard pack uh-huh. uh, surface. I would say that there would be great gravel roads if there wasn't just like one road going north south and one road going. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I mean, there's probably nothing but, for a thousand miles, so you yeah. really only need one road in, one road out. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and then an airport. <laughs> what? Uh, what's industry there? What? Well, okay. Your bigger question: What brought your parents there? Yeah, my parents moved over there for work in when I was two years old. So they work for a, a U.S. company that's based in Alice Springs. Um, they've been. I think they went over for like a two-year contract, and uh-huh. that was in '95 or '96. <laughs> <laughs> so they like it there. They like the they like the small town. They like the weather. Yeah, it's hot in the summer. But I believe it. Where um, were they prior to that? Where in the U.S.? Before that, they were in L.A. Okay, and that was that's where I was born gotcha. in L.A. And then moved out. We've got a younger brother and sister. 
Um, my brother rides downhill. Oh, right on. So, much to my parents' <laughs> dislike. <laughs> Where's your brother these days? Uh, he's in L.A. now. Okay. Yeah, he was in Adelaide for a while and then got a job in L.A. And I think a couple couple months ago. So he's nice. new, yep. new back to the States. So. Are you dual passport? No. U.S. passport. Purely U.S. Yeah. What at what point in your upbringing outside of jamming around town on a bike do you get into cycling? Is in the way a cyclist would say they're a cyclist as opposed to a neighborhood bike rider? Um, let's see. I was probably I was in high school. High school there is like seven through twelve. Okay. Seven through twelfth grade. Or at least in Alice Springs it was. And uh would that be twelve thirteen? 13 years old. Sounds about right. Kind of yep. started training when I was 14 mm-hmm. and doing a little racing. And um, before that, played soccer, tennis, baseball, cricket. Uh, footy? Footy. What is footy? Is footy rugby or is it different? Depends where you are. Okay. Footy can be Australian rules football, Got AFL, uh, which is played on same shape on the oval field like cricket but it's got they've got goal posts that you okay kick it through and then footy can also be rugby gotcha plenty of those but, uh did you play those i mean I oh did i play it no okay i played i think i tried each of them once and yeah. i was like i was pretty small yeah <laughs> and didn't want to be tackled so <laughs> so i didn't uh, didn't do well with the contact sports yeah but um what line of work are your parents in? Uh, they're in aerospace Dang. field. Yeah. With what? Is that a big portion of the job population in Alice Springs, or is that? I think you said the hospital is probably the biggest employer. Yeah, I think the hospital is the biggest employer. Then that. Uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few Americans out there. Uh, maybe yeah, a couple couple thousand yeah. so there'd be there's a few different companies that have have stuff out there but um yeah i'd say probably two or three thousand americans spot. in town so at some point you do decently well um as you're getting into cycling and if i'm not mistaken you take maybe two national championships as a junior yeah, two, two in under 19s, and then one in under 17. So, I guess like that's junior, but not a. Uh, I guess it's a championship race, but not. Yeah. You can't go to worlds or anything in uh, under 17. But I won both years as a junior. Yeah, and is that uh, how politicized is that? If you're not a card-carrying Australian passport holding person what is that like i could have been completely oblivious to it yeah the only the only thing i remember being an issue was me not like i didn't get the jersey i still stood on the podium and then uh the guys the guy who was in second got the the jersey and the medal and everything so right it wasn't it never seemed like there was a big deal that i was 
doing the race because I had been racing mountain bikes sure. in the like the national series for a couple of years by then. So, so I don't know. I've, nothing too crazy. It's not like you're crazy. Hell bent on taking home the jersey. Uh, I mean, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Were you bummed then? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit bummed. It was like this identity crisis. I'd been sure. In, had spent. 16 years of my of my 18 in, yeah. in Alice Springs I was like I'm more Australian well exactly you must think of yourself as Australian anyone, but yeah. uh, but then I actually did marathon nationals in when I was older like in 2017 or 18 and got third and ended up getting some UCI points huh. through that yeah and then since I hadn't been racing any UCI races for a little while I ended up with two UCI numbers because uh-huh. they oh they put <laughs> I ended up with points for an Australian UCI license right. that I had never they like created a new a new license and so then when I came back and tried to in 2018 and was doing some UCI racing they were like this yeah. is <laughs> like so, we need to figure something out because you got you exactly. can't do, you can't have both but. So to our, our listener, your UCI number is typically, like mine was USA 1983-0131, I think basically that. It's like your birth, country birth yeah, date. Yeah, country birth date. Um, and therefore, yeah, if you have an Australian one and an American one, you probably have to figure out how to amalgamate them and put them into one. Yeah, which I guess, I know you can only do that once. Like you can switch countries and nationalities once for yeah. the UCI and... I might have screwed myself if I ever want to actually <laughs> <laughs> race for Australia and something. But who were you're 29 years old, if I'm not mistaken? Correct. Who were your contemporaries in that junior in the, the U.S. or the, in Australia? Uh, in Australia, like Australia, we had uh, Jack Haig. He's, yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty good. Uh-huh. He's had a rough couple of years with injuries over there in, in the tour, but he's a, he's on Bahrain. Yep. Uh, Bahrain victorious now, and Chris Hamilton, I think, was a couple of years, maybe maybe a year younger. We like had overlap, so we didn't really race against each other much. Yeah. Uh, who else? Who else did I say yesterday? I know there's more. Um, Jack Haig was the standout one in my mind. Yeah, uh, and Chris ha- Hamilton races for DSM. Yep, he's been with them for for a while. Handy. Um, and then Jason Lowndes too. Who I'm not sure if you knew him, but he was hit by a car in 2017. He was oh, still yeah, still young. Yep. Um, but he was on Israel. Okay. Israel Premier Tech back then, but. Not intentionally inserting words in your mouth. I want to say your career basically entails three parts. So that was part one, and then at some point you end up in Bogota, Colombia. So what's yes. the segue? End of end of part one. Okay, <laughs> chapter one ends chapter with one a trip ends. to Bogota. What brings you um, to Bogota? Bogota. There was a. I guess my my high school had a kind of exchange program with a um, English school there, and. Through, through that met the people at the school and they were setting up a gap year program to be like a, an assistant teacher. Yep. So kind of my sister had gone on exchange there. Mm-hmm. 
then I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I finish high school. So yeah, uh, yeah, I went spent six months in Bogota on a kind of gap year program, um, and then didn't I? I think I did one did one mountain bike race there, and there was a teacher, one of the teachers at the school, mm-hmm. rode bikes, so we would get up at like. On Tuesday and Thursday, we'd get up at like four in the morning and go ride. I don't remember what the climb was, but we could ride there from the from the school, and then go up and come back in, in time for uh, for school to start. But I didn't like I did one race just because it was it was like I haven't ridden my bike in it forever and want to do a want to do a race. So uh-huh. um, yeah, I'd say that was like after high school was retirement number one. Racing, yeah. So in your mind, cycling might—it's taking a backseat. Like, you're yeah, saying. It was like riding bikes is still fun, but sure, not, not training or, or doing any of that, and um, and was usually honestly a little too hungover to do much riding in <laughs> <laughs> Bogota anyway. Very good. Uh, but while I was there, I decided um, that I would go, or I wanted to go to Fort Lewis. Like wanted to go race bikes in college and I guess the, to go back to chapter one I had done a USAC mountain bike camp where I met uh, Matt Shriver who okay. was a coach at the school at the time um, and then like I met Howard was over there I think too Howard Gratz and Payson we were roommates in when we were 15 years old in no way. Germany at the USAC house. <laughs> You're kidding. Um, so, yeah, I've known Payson for a while now. I'll say. Um, but so anyway, decided I wanted to go to school while I was taking a gap year. Yeah. I'd kind of like, had a one-way ticket and was like, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do afterwards. And then, yeah, I went up, uh, started school that fall, so my gap year was seven months not yeah. not a full year but uh got to yeah go to school in Durango which was awesome and still wish that I could move back yeah <laughs> did you look around at other schools not really I looked at Leeds McRae yeah as well sort of the east coast equivalent um, of Fort Lewis pretty much yeah but it's way smaller town yeah I feel like it's in uh, Banner Elk I think North that Carolina right. Did so. I mean, cycling was the goal in going to college. Mm-hmm. Cycling was the goal. I figured I'd find something I wanted to study. Durango is such an interesting place. I feel like it's it for a while, a while now. It has had iconic cyclists there. Mm-hmm. The Todd Wells's, the Overends, the the. Uh, what John Tomac, I think, is just around the corner. Yeah, over in Cortez. Yeah. Um, and now I feel like current Durangans or people who have spent a considerable amount of time in Durango are hitting their stride with a lot of the names you just said, like mm-hmm. the Blevinses, the Sepkuses, the Paysons, the yourself. The did Evelyn Dong spend time there? I don't think she ever spent time in. Well, Durango, here's a funny side note on Evelyn. I actually went to college with her at Middlebury for a while. No way. And I was like, oh, I was catching up with her more recently and only learned then that she didn't actually graduate and is yeah. pursuing cycling full-time. Okay, sorry. Too much of a uh, interlude. 
talk to me about college. Talk to me about being in Durango. To have those iconic people there, as well as all of your contemporaries, who at the time you're probably like, okay, this guy's not iconic. He's just my roommate. Yeah, he's he's my roommate. Or you're you're like, man, I just got to figure out how to beat him. Sure. And that's the that was the crazy thing at Fort Lewis is there's I think when I was there the cycling team was grew from I think my freshman year it was 60 or 70 people on the cycling team and when I finished four years later it was like 120 or 130 people on the cycling team Um, how do you even field the team like are there caps there they ended up so the first year that you could just like you pay your dues for the semester and you can go do all seven races of the series but then as it grew, they had to limit. They kind of had the varsity team that could go to every race, but yeah. the people not on the varsity team could go to three three race weekends yep. during the season. Um, and that, yeah, I don't know if there was any bitterness for, like, if you didn't get selected for the varsity team. But, but where I was going with that is that the, you have all these kids coming into school who were like Nike state champion like one this that the other race sure and then you get to school there and you're racing against like Howard who yeah. went to the Olympics in 2016 <laughs> and, like Payson who, who's fast and like then on the women's side like Sophia sure was at school at the same time too and um, and Sep, we were racing against Sep yep. in college as yep. well. Um, Griffin, Griffin Easter yep. was there too. Was, he was at Fort Lewis, or did mm-hmm. he go to see you? Okay, yeah, he was at Fort Lewis. So it was you like come from wherever you came from. You're like I'm, I'm, I'm the, it. I'm, I'm the, I'm the best. Yeah, I'm good. And then you show up and you're racing guys going to the Olympics. <laughs> And I mean, I imagine and, like step a few years later, sure. winning stages of the tour and that kind of stuff. So, fast forward to the present, I imagine there's a bunch of kids at school who are professional cyclists already. I mean, or racing yeah. for pro programs there's, or like especially like Chris Chris Blevins. Yeah, when he went to Cal Poly, but yeah, um, yeah, and Howard and Keegan didn't go to school, but he lived in Durango. Yeah, um, so there were a lot of guys racing professionally and doing school full-time as well how does how does academia fit into it meaning uh it took me a while to figure out yeah i was in trouble like (laughs) semester i think for the first year of school i was like man you're still on your bogota hangover (laughs) pretty much (laughs) i wasn't gonna say it but then then kind of figured out like uh add some add some balance to it and yeah try to not get on the academic probation <laughs> list how big but. is the school in general which is to say when any cyclist hears of fort lewis they think of it as in the context as the school that's the powerhouse cycling program but how big is cycling relative to the whole school like there are other sports i have to assume besides yeah cycling. they've got i think they had a good soccer team and a good lacrosse team Gotcha. Um, the football team was never very good. Uh-huh. They had a good basketball team too. Uh-huh. So they had they had all the other sports. Um, and the 
I think the student population was like four thousand. Okay, three or four thousand. Got it. So it's just cycling so is still a smallish totally portion. compared to the uh, the size of the school. Yeah, but there was yeah a lot of people that rode bikes even if they weren't on the like didn't do it. Yeah. As a sport, just did it for fun. There's a there's a lot of people riding bikes in Durango. Mm -hmm. Conducive to the pace of life around town. Mm -hmm. What do you end up choosing as your course of study? I ended up studying exercise science with a focus in physiology, sports physiology, and then I got a minor in business as well. Right on. That yeah. seems like the kind of thing that a lot of people who are pursuing cycling at a college would do. Was that a popular? Yeah, there major? was. A, I think Payson did it as Payson and Sophia were in the same. We like yeah had a ton of classes together. Uh huh. I can't think of anyone else who was racing. I know Griffin studied Spanish. Yep. Uh, but that like engineering was pretty like and and it had a uh, Fort Lewis has a good business school. Yeah. Too. So they had. They did have a wide variety of uh, interests sure. on the cycling team. Like Howard studied yeah. math. <laughs> so impressive, yeah. He, yeah. He's a secondary degree in math now. Yeah, yeah he got wild. his master's, I think, in applied, yep. applied mathematics. And so. so, as you end up going from the top dog to ending up at a college where suddenly you're, you're little fish in a big sea, where does... Where does that put your mind going into the next phase of life? Like, do you suddenly say, okay, I want to keep hard charging and pursuing cycling? Or do you see a bigger picture and being like, oh, man, okay, there's the Howard Grotzes of the world. Who can do both. Who can do, <laughs> yeah, who can do both. Yeah. Yeah, what's your trajectory after college? After college, I guess during college I was still, like, I was trying to get on, I wanted to maybe race on the road because I was like, that's where the money is. Uh-huh. Haven't done any... Hadn't had any good results at at the World Cups because um, I still did a little bit of World Cup racing, raced a little bit of cross during college, and was like it's too cold. <laughs> Grew up in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> like if there's Fair. snow on the ground, I don't really want to be outside. Yeah, and <laughs> on before a bike. electronic shifting, you can't. You know, <laughs> yeah, manually you're trying to push and it's full yeah. of mud. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I didn't really know like cycling wise really what direction I wanted to head um and then there was part of me that was thinking about like med school or PT school or something higher education wise um but in the end I decided to I guess my senior year of college kind of took a step back from racing again yeah with the the intention of uh looking into post postgrad uh, studies and then ended up moving to uh, back to Australia and worked for a um, bike distributor over there that did BMC Norco a bunch of other brands too but was doing was working with the demo demo guy and mm-hmm. so we would go to the tour down under and do the oh, right be in the expo there and then go drive from Adelaide up to Cairns along the coast doing like e-bike demos yeah, it was kind yeah, of early yeah. early e-bike days uh-huh. um, and then started started riding again I guess the when I moved to Australia my thought was okay I'm going to get onto an NRS team the National Road Series 
uh, over there, get on an NRS team, get my foot in the door, and then go to the world tour. I was like, yeah. this, is what I'm, uh-huh. <laughs> this is my path. I, was, I think I was 23 or 24. I was like kind of old to be like get just getting into the real road racing scene and had a couple good good races in Australia but never I was on one of the smaller smaller teams that yep. didn't really have budget but um yeah doing I think we did the Bay Crits mm-hmm. one year did tour of Tasmania did Grafton to Inverell but yeah tour of Tasmania was was good uh, I think I got eighth on GC sure. one of the years there, and I was like, okay, I'm like figuring out the road thing. And then I think a year later, I was like, no, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the road's what I, yeah. <laughs> what I want to do. Like, I, I feel like I could make a career in in the U.S. racing mountain bikes, and maybe go. I was like, then I was back like Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> like, Olympics for mountain bike. Because you're a mountain uh, biker, I mean, born and raised mountain biker. Like, that's your core, your base. Yeah, yeah started in World mountain biking. World Cups, XCO, Chase Points. Yeah. Right? The whole, yeah, the whole UCI yeah. Points Chase thing. And so then, yeah, changed changed my mind, moved back in, moved in with my parents and worked. I was working at the hospital in mm-hmm. the, uh, as a pharmacy technician for, there for like six months. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, worked there, worked at the bike shop as well, and then did did another trip with the demo guy down to tour down under in January. Like yep. I was working, yeah, I was working like I was gonna race race professionally on the savings that I yeah that I saved while I was living at home, um, and that was kind of what I ended up doing. I came over here in 2018 again, and went for yeah, it was like. Saved up enough. My my car in back in Alice Springs was stolen and totaled, so I got oh, insurance yeah. for that. And was like, "Well, I don't need another car. I'm going to America." <laughs> and like, took that money and came yeah. over here and used that as kind of racing racing money for the first year. Where did um, you set up shop when you came back to the U.S.? Man, I couch surfed yeah. that whole almost that whole year, and then and then landed at Keegan's house in Heber City in Utah. Yeah, yep. Keegan and Sophia and Evelyn lived there okay. at the time too. It was like right on this packed yeah. <laughs> packed house with a couple dogs, and uh, <clears throat> then yeah, landed landed there, and then was was doing pretty well in the mountain bike stuff that year. Had a good amount of UCI points and. Did well in the Epic Rides series. Like was third overall nice. in the Epic Rides oh, back dang. when they ran the whole the whole series. So I was like, "Damn, I'm I'm yeah. coming. I'm yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. is my career. It's happening." And then the next year kind of was rocky. Like I had some good results and some bad results, but it wasn't that mm-hmm. like it plateaued. You know, you think, yeah. yeah, I'm coming back, and you think it's just gonna keep <laughs> getting better and better, and yeah. then it plateaued and. <clears throat> And then, and then COVID in 2020. So that was kind of like two years, two years after. Um, but that was where, I guess, 2020 was kind of where I found my feet on the social media stuff <laughs> <laughs> with like the, the cooking show cycling. and uh, 
Yeah, it was like not cycling related media. Like yeah. Keegan and I were bored one day and we were like, let's make it. Sophia had seen some gross looking thing on Instagram and she was like, Ryan, you should cook this. And I was like, we should film it and then put it on the <laughs> put it on the internet. So cooking show and then I did I think later in the year went on some road trips and was doing like MTB cribs. I'd yeah. like go to my friends' houses and nice. like get them to give me a tour and thought that was hilarious. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so it was kind of the my step into the more than just I ride bikes right. on social media. Like here's my here's my sponsors. So well, given that, it's almost like you four chapters of your cycling. I guess that was chapter two into chapter three. Well, you got okay, like junior I, stuff. Oh, never mind. Yeah, that was three. junior Australian yeah. stuff, collegiate stuff. Yeah, the back and forth Australian NRS series. Mm-hmm. To the U. Oh man, there's like so many chapters. It's just it's just chapter of chapter. And that's what I sort of love about going. the sport. And, <laughs> And what's certainly interesting about the contemporary state of cycling is it's uh, U.S. cycling. It is this amalgamation. It's this. It's this. I don't know. Coming together of different disciplines in a sport that we're calling gravel, but it still mixes together a whole bunch of other stuff. As a three-legged dog. Um. How. If you were your 17-year-old self standing on top of the podium without an Australian National Championship jersey, being told that sometime in the future you're going to be racing some combination of off-road endurance bike riding in the United States, what do you think you would have pegged the likelihood of that? No way. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think back then I was like, I'm going to... There was a point in high, like I was going to drop out. I wanted to drop out of high school yeah. <laughs> to race bikes. Yep. My parents were like, "Absolutely not," <laughs> and I'm glad that I stuck it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and kept going. I was like, I was 16. I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to race bikes." And when I was 16, there's like, there was like prize money. It was like 200 bucks for right, right. for a race win. They're right. like, "You can't live on that, <laughs> right?" <laughs> That's not going to. That's not going to pay your bills. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but, yeah, at 17, I, I was either, like, I was either thinking I'm going to be world champion on the mountain bike or I'm going to race, like, Paris-Roubaix on yeah. the road. I was like, those were my only two options. Uh-huh. Um, and then to, yeah, fast forward 12 years uh, and be racing <clears throat> professionally on like endurance events that is not the world tour <laughs> right or or xco or, or even like you know, like longer than marathon mountain bike races used to be we used to race like yeah. three or four hours was a long a long race for me and now getting ready to do 10 hour <laughs> 10 hour races and thinking about like projects i mean you're doing the the xl yeah and thinking about doing these big like things like payson's doing and like now that's piquing my interest i'm like okay how long can i ride my bike for it is it's kind of crazy um i mean i think jeff kabush says it well which is what keep on riding until the fun stops Mm -hmm. i mean it 
the contemporary state of off-road riding is cool because it's opened a door to so many different opportunities. Take a... Totally. I mean, think of a Keegan, mm-hmm. who is dominant off-road, but his pursuit of the Olympics didn't work out exactly the way it planned. he planned it, and now he has this this program that works really well. He's mm-hmm. at the very tip end, sharp end of the, the spear. But then it's there's so many people that are just able to get this groundswell. What's also crazy to me is the people who are have are seeing what is being done who've never raced professionally in any capacity and then they're seeing that as the opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the privateer program. Yep. It's it's bananas. Um, and then okay, you were just talking about having a lot of I think of you as having support of your sponsors in some really interesting, unique ways. No different than having a or the ability to talk through a cooking show or MTB MTB cribs. This is all to say. I'm going to tell you a quick story. When I was 18 years old, I was coming back from, or no, sorry, I was 20 years old. I was a freshman in college. I was driving, or maybe 19. You're younger. I was younger. It was half my life ago. I was in a car driving back from a race, and I got a call from my mom. And she said, your dad's in the hospital, which is not remarkable because he was an orthopedic surgeon. So he was often in the hospital. But this call, after that initial not being surprised, she said, it's it's not a good thing. He's just had a stroke. Mm-hmm. He was the pillar of our family. And he was a very healthy individual. And he was all things normal. So this was at the age of 57, the ground getting yanked out from under him. Understanding a little bit about your story, I feel like there's a chance that you can relate to something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, you've done some research. I've done some research. <laughs> that was quick because we went for a ride yesterday. We went for it was two days ago. <laughs> two days ago. But I did oh, yeah, my due diligence to make sure that I was. Bike. <clears throat> give me a yeah, give me so a rundown of how you can relate to that. The. I guess a little different because my dad has has MS and he was diagnosed 2012. So that year that I went to Bogota mm-hmm. was uh, like the year before he had started having some symptoms like kind of numbness and tingling in his legs. And the MS is pretty hard to diagnose. Um, so they were doing all these tests that took, I think, six months or a year of tests to be to figure out what it what it was they're ruling ruling a bunch of things out um and that i guess the similar similar thing like early on or early on it was not uh something like he could still walk he was still riding his bike a little bit and and was getting outside and then as it the disease progressed that he was like walking with a cane and then I think it's probably been about five years ago now maybe more um, he got in a wheelchair because it was just getting too much to be moving around without on his two legs mm-hmm. um, so that was that ties in with I think after college when I went home to stay with them and I'd, I would see them intermittently through college but never really saw the impact that that the diseases had had on 
on him and, and my mom taking like I wouldn't say she she takes care of him. He can still um, can still take care of himself, but mom helps out and, and is super valuable and yeah. Um, and that was when I started doing. It was after that year I started doing the Bike MS fundraising event. <clears throat> they have like different bike rides around. I think every state yeah. has one. They yeah, raise. Yeah, yeah. I want to say like a billion dollars a year. Um, that might be a little high. I think they've raised a couple billion over the their history. Yeah, for, they are ubiquitous. Um, you do see research. bike MS all over the place, which is awesome. Yeah, I know Garmin has or like sponsors the one here yeah. in Kansas. I think it leaves from their headquarters right in LA. There. Yeah. Um, so that became kind of a foundation of my foray into privateer program was kind of building it around raising awareness for multiple sclerosis and and also doing the fundraising for it as well yeah and that's been um i haven't been as good about it this year things been things have been super busy <laughs> this year and so I, I need to uh need to get back back into that but it was kind of my way of trying to give back to like seeing my, not only my dad's MS but you meet yeah. a lot of people if yes. if you talk like talking to someone and you tell them you, your dad has MS the chances are that someone else is going to be like oh my brother my dad my uncle yeah. my grandpa someone someone has mm-hmm. uh, MS that they that they know or that they're friends with um and that was that was eye opening for me too to see how just how prevalent yep. it really is. <clears throat> um, and then I guess another chapter we can go straight chapter into chapter six B. <laughs> chapter six B. Um, last year I started a little like merch company uh, called the the Rocket Sloth, uh, which was an idea kind of came through from because of dad's MS progression and thinking I was looking for a little logo to put on my my bike MS jersey that I was that I was doing for that for the event and so that was like the sloth is kind of like dad slowing down and just having to having to chill um and then the the rocket being a like rocket scientist we'll uh-huh. call him uh, so put those together and then I had I had like three hats made yeah. in that first year and anytime I would like go to a coffee shop or go to the bar or like people were like where'd you get that hat yeah. so then I was like oh, I could turn this into like a way to fundraise for for that as well and people are pretty excited about it it's a <laughs> it's super cool logo of, uh, kind of fun to come up with new designs and then my girlfriend Lauren helps she's an artist and mm-hmm. a digital artist and she I'll like draw something on a piece of paper and she'll be like let's like she can fix it up yeah. so it'll yeah, actually yeah, yeah. actually looks good but yeah so that's been uh, turns out it's a lot of work to run your own <laughs> business <laughs> so that's taken a bit of a backseat this year too just because we've been traveling a lot already yes um, well, when clothing and sizes and keeping inventory is all part of the game, that's 
an yeah. animal. But hats easy. Hats are easy. <laughs> one size, one fits, size most. fits all. Um, you got the yeah. short. You got the jorts on. Yeah. You got the hat on. I segued that by talking about having these relationships with sponsors, and you know, you've got you're talking about creating the jersey that you're going to be riding for your bike at events. Your kit is very poppin'. Mm-hmm. Your you, you have a uh, a bit of a reputation for sometimes wearing jorts. I would be remiss if I didn't allow you to tell people where they can get the Rocket Sloth merch or at least spend time on the website. Where would yeah, that be? Right now it'll be spending time on the website unless you wear 2XL <laughs> stuff <laughs> or extra is, small because that's what I have left right now. Um, is it rocketsloth.com? I bet if you Googled Rocket Sloth, you'd probably find it pretty quick. You'll see the logo. I know yeah. <clears throat> I had I'd bought the domain rocketsloth.co, yeah. but that seemed kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I got rocketslothco.com uh, is yeah where that is. And we're going to try and have some new stuff in the next month or so. It's Maybe after Unbound, I'll have there you go. <laughs> some downtime. Um Speaking of sponsors, I couldn't help but notice that you have Oscar Blues as a sponsor. Yeah. Which is a beer company, which is... Dale's Pale Ale is their best known. Yeah. The blue with the blue and red can. That yeah. is that is enviable. I'm... I have some over at the I love beer. If you want. I've checked out some <laughs> of your videos, some. not one of which in which you insert a, a couple six-packs into the fridge as you and Keegan go on an adventure. Is beer part of... Your My training mission? plan. Training plan. <laughs> Unofficially. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Very good. I mean, it, <laughs> officially. No. I mean, it's. I, I enjoy having a beer. I think Oscar Blues. Yeah. I was already drinking their beer before, and and I think it's a fun. I mean, a fun way to do something different, and yeah, and have. It goes well with the cooking show too. So cooking show. Another one of my. Uh, what do you call it? Outside of bike industry sponsors is El Yucateco Hot Sauce. No kidding! Um, oh, I've seen that. So, yes, congratulations! So they like I love it. Do we do the hot sauce in the in uh-huh. the cooking shows? Um, and so the, those are two tasty things that are cool to have uh, <laughs> to have a, a partnership with, and they're cool brands too. Have, like, Super cool branding. Good affiliation. I don't mean to make it about cycling, but I sort of have to because it's, I mean, you have these relationships because of riding a bike. My first Unbound, 2016, and all through the first probably three, four years of riding a bike, uh, riding a gravel bike, it was like, you know, it was almost mandatory to have a beer beforehand. It's like, it's mm-hmm. fun, right? I had my world tour days, and that's what I, I was... I swear it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. I swear we're having fun out here. And now gravel's become so cutthroat it's almost like no you need to be on the program and on a diet and not drinking beer and not allowing yourself these not vices but things that derivate from the plan yeah so i love that you have a beer sponsor i love that you have a hot sauce sponsor like is that intentional do you suppose i think so i think it fits with my brand <laughs> the i i mean i love racing my bike but i also love having a beer with friends after after the race mm-hmm. maybe the day before too 
Like I'm not I'm not going out to the bar until right. two in the morning before sure. Outbound. But yeah, to hang out on the like have a barbecue and drink a beer with with friends the night before or, or the night after or whenever. Um, I think that like for me the racing is cool because I get to hang out with my friends and mm-hmm. then get to try and rip their legs off for mm-hmm. a couple hours <laughs> and then we can be friends again Yeah. Um, so I think that's what I like to bring to racing just kind of I'll make fun of people in the bunch well, <laughs> if they're doing or, or I'll yell at them if they're doing something that I think is dangerous mm-hmm. I don't yell at people for not taking pulls but <laughs> but I'll play with I'll like I'll like take them off the back yeah I'll let the gap open and then let them close it good move and do yeah but I think yeah I like hanging out at the expo I'm I'm famous for when people stay with me at races. They're like I'm not going to the yeah. I'm not going to registration with you. Yeah, you come back <laughs> six hours later. Exactly. You're gonna hang out for too long. I dig it. But, what do you suppose the direction is, given the current climate of cycling? Given, you know, my initial perception, for example, is I I couldn't I couldn't really fathom it when people were getting into cycling who didn't have, I mean, sorry, getting into gravel, who didn't have a, a, another background in the sport. So, mm-hmm. like, I always think of Brennan Wirtz, right? Yeah. He's a rower-turned-professional gravel cyclist. And it was just mind-bending for me that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I thought gravel was the retirement tour, and now yeah. it's most certainly not. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, like, gravel's been my opportunity to do this full time yeah because like before before last year I still worked random odd jobs for mm-hmm. um, for the last 10 years and I think that's that's something that is cool that gravel's become another like okay you're not great at XCO racing or maybe you are but you like have to be racing world cups to make money mm-hmm. racing mm-hmm. Uh, XCO um, and then the world tour was pretty hard to get, <laughs> pretty hard to get to that hard to crack into that yeah yeah <laughs> um, and then domestic road racing doesn't really there's not much of that anymore but gravel is this other avenue now that you can and you can make it what you want to yeah. if you're a unique personality you don't even have to do well at races you can just go out and ride around and i mean i don't i don't think it's cool when people are out there with the gopro like i'm out here that's gotten a little bit odd it's i don't i don't like that just from a safety perspective and then like they come up and like what do you think of the race and you're like i'm doing I'm doing 400 watts right now. I'm not talking to you. Right. <laughs> Try not to get dropped. I think we really need to explain that. Like, okay, there was a time that wearing a GoPro was more and more common, and that's okay. Like, if you have it strapped to your bike or this, that, the other. But now we're literally seeing moves being, attacks being thrown, and people will reach into their pocket and pull out a GoPro. Yeah. Which is kind of bananas. And so the, the, the social mediaization is actually sort of dictating the racing, which is nuts. Not at the very front. 
not at the very front, but there are times where you're like, look, to your point, you're like, I'm doing 400 watts. Why are you reaching into your pocket to, to like, shoot this? Yeah, you should probably have both your hands on the bars because yeah. <laughs> it's sketchy in here. <clears throat> but, that said, I feel like what's allowing this to be even a career option is the social media. Totally. Is the storytelling. And I think, too, looking back at my cycling, I guess, cycling career, and I went full-time professional last year when I'm 28, Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that a lot of people you see, or you see people like you see Riley Amos and Chris Blevins and Howard who are racing, and Keegan too, racing professionally from when they're 17 mm-hmm. and then on the road too it's like they graduate high school and go to Europe like like you look at Quinn he was 19 sure. when he went to the world tour and I think it's kind of disheartening if you're not if you haven't made it you're like okay you're 23 24 you went to college mm-hmm. you still want to race bikes but then it's easy to I'm going to give up, retire, be... And the way I looked at it was, like, a lot of these guys, if you just keep doing it, you'll you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll you'll make it. Like, you're, you're, like, knocking on the door for years. <laughs> like, this part-time, full-time, like, all this job. And these jobs make it really hard to race at that level. Sure. But I think a lot of... <clears throat> that's the other downside to social media is you don't see you only see the that people are training a ton yeah. or riding or going to races you don't see that they might be working 20 30 40 yeah hour weeks yeah like, like when i lived with my parents i was working 50 hour weeks that's training nuts. and it was just like that was my whole right life and goal was to <clears throat> get back to like be able to leave and, and race full-time that year and I ended up getting a job again at the end of the season but right <clears throat> but it's a bummer that you don't see that side of it because that's not the glamorous it's not like the cool side it's like oh we're customer support right <laughs> to our Answer emails all day astute listener there's clearly a, a niche here someone needs to fill the gap to show their 40-hour work week in addition to beating their head down the door <laughs> As they make it to the to the gravel world, I'm I grew up playing traditional ball sports, and I still love professional call it football, baseball, basketball, hockey. And there's no we almost live in the, with this like fairness paradigm currently, where everybody needs to make it, and everybody gets their 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 gold star and blue ribbon, and you did it, you can make it. Contrasted with like. There's only so many people in the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB. And so where cycling strikes out on its own, I didn't mean to say strike out per baseball, is that there is this ability of, like, you knock your head against the wall so many times and you can get through. Like, you can create a place and a niche that other sports, I feel like, don't allow because... Because I think those other sports are so results oriented, mm-hmm. and I feel like <clears throat> if I wanted to play football, 
there's no way you stop playing football at 28. <laughs> there's Correct. no way you get into the NFL. <laughs> it's like 28, most of those guys are yeah. retired or too injured to play anymore. Are you familiar with Paper Tiger? I think that's the name of it. Paper? No. It was a journalist who pitched for the Detroit Tigers. And anyone who's actually read the book is going to be like, Ted, you're so wrong. That's not actually what happened. But it was something to that effect. And it was it's a book from, like, the 60s. Mm-hmm. But it's almost the original thing. It's like telling of a story allows you into these places that you wouldn't otherwise be. Yeah. Um, I follow a, a goalie who plays in the minor league NHL. But he's, he's a wonderful storyteller. And he has a podcast. And he has a great video vlog series. And mm-hmm. he's a fledgling goalie. And I think he's the same thing. He's, you know, 30 years old. He's never going to make it to the NHL. But yeah. he's pursuing his dream and loving what he's doing mm-hmm. and were it not for his social media he would not be playing at the level he's at totally so it's cool that there are opportunities it's in crazy. other sports I think like I don't know much about basketball but I know they have a bunch of mm-hmm. leagues below below the NBA mm-hmm. that you can kind of kind of make it uh, make it by uh, but just to say like that's it is possible to Maybe you work part time and you can get by on on what you what you've got going with the racing and and that's cool that's cool too. I mean, Alex mm-hmm. Wild works full time yeah. as well. He ain't slow. Um, no, not at all. So, and you see it more and more. Uh, I feel like you see much more of the what we are talking about being a professional outside of the world of cycling and dabbling in cycling at a very high level on the female side Mm -hmm. you know I mean like because their opportunities even more fewer and further between yeah they need to be earning a living elsewhere um I was reading the paper this morning the local Emporia Gazette or whatever it's called digitally Mm -hmm. there are 4,000 people coming to town which is like people registered to race? I think or? I think registered to race. Okay, maybe that could also include family so and friends. If there's four thousand people registered, then that's going to be like ten thousand. Sure, people exactly. Total. There is an exodus of locals who move out. We end up in places like this when they Airbnb their house. But the whole point is, there are only there are a series of races that can be won: the fifty, the hundred, the two fifty, the three fifty. Male, female, non-binary, so on and so forth. There are 4,000 people who are coming to this town. There's only so many who are going to win. And a lot of them, probably close to 99.9%, probably have a job elsewhere. Or are retired. Or are retired, which is also... (laughs) They're like you. They've had like six retirements from cycling. (laughs) Um, Going in a slightly different direction, how has your training differed? We talked when you rolled up to to the house this morning. You did an eight-hour ride yesterday, which is probably something you would never have done in a previous lifetime. No, I think I did one for the first time two years ago before on before the start line. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, <laughs> two years ago was like my first time riding my bike for more than ten hours. Uh, but I've done a couple, couple eight-hour rides. Yeah. In the past few years, and this year I've done more. I mean, I've done more volume this year than ever, uh-huh. ever before. And I think it's been good. We'll see. The I've felt more consistent and more prepared, like especially at Gravel Locos. Yeah. Like last year was a, I think it was a lot slower pace than mm-hmm. this year. This year was pretty on and trying mm-hmm. to chase Ian 
<laughs> all day. <laughs> is he panic training? I think he's panic training. Yeah. Not, I'm, except not he panic, never, he, yeah. he's not panicked. He's cramming. He's, like he's cramming, cramming for yeah. the test. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Ian is one of the most physiologically uh, adept cyclists that America yeah. has produced in a very long time. Um, but back to training. It's <clears throat> yeah. I changed coaches last year to working with Dennis Van Winden now. Mm-hmm. Um, or last year and. And last year I was like, man, we're not doing enough. I need more volume to be doing. Like, it's one thing to be able to do unbound, but it's another thing that unbound's only halfway through the season. You right. have to be able to, like, get on a bike yep. <laughs> after that and, and, and keep going the for the season and not be totally, totally buckled. But, um, and, and his his point was like Ryan you've never consistently trained through a whole season that's Dennis's point <laughs> yeah because <laughs> he had looked at looked at my past <laughs> training and and I was pretty renowned for uh taking like a month off in yeah. July all right on. <laughs> like oh uh, that's hilarious like finish nationals it's like I don't have don't yeah. have many races and I'm gonna go hang out and uh-huh. probably drink more beer than I should and <laughs> then just it wasn't that I was planning to take a month off I'd just like take a week off and yeah. and relax and then that like week turned into two weeks turned into <laughs> three weeks and all of a sudden I lost all my fitness and uh-huh. the second half of the season was was a wash but so that was like last year Dennis's goal he was like you proved to me that mm-hmm. you can train through the the whole year and do it consistently and then next year like we'll we'll build this year is like building the foundation for next year when you'll be consistent and do more volume that's sweet so this is going to be by far the biggest year i've done you're in the grand prix is that correct correct last year you were quite the snub which is to say, I think you, you had the chops and uh, certainly ability and resume to be there, but okay, there's only so many people that could have gotten it. Mm-hmm. You got in this year, which lends itself to having fitness throughout the entire season, as opposed to seeing July turn around and be like, well, I guess it's time to, to shut it off. Yeah. Uh, you leave here and you're going to go up to Canada and race some mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. I guess my point is, yeah. It's funny that we are here. It's late May. Early June is unbound. Early June is this ridiculous 10-hour race, which is such an anomaly for the the overall scope of the season. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to most between today, which is a little bit before unbound, and let's say October from any perspective? Racing? Not racing? Traveling? We've got travel and racing. Um after so next next Monday gonna head up to Canada Sweet. for the Whistler back 40 which mm-hmm. is what is that two weeks from two weeks from today so mm-hmm. the weekend after unbound which is part of our little single track series mountain bike series that right. Stephen devoust is kind of leading the charge and then me and, and Evelyn's kind of on board and Casey Armstrong with mm-hmm. we haven't done a great job of we like kind of launched it a little earlier than we should like with uh, Betsy wrote an article for us in in Vela News and we were like we haven't actually figured anything out I was like Steve why did you talk to her Uh, but 
yeah, it's um, it's been good so far, and I think the the couple races, the two races so far this year, have attracted more <clears throat> more pros than than have been at those events, mm-hmm. um, at least in a while. So Whistleback Forty is the next uh, next series or next race of that series, and then Downeyville is the last one nice. in California in July. Yeah, um, which you'll be at. I won't be there. Which, here that's a sweet race yeah but, okay. i really i want to but it's my grandma's 90th birthday so Fair. same weekend so Fair. i'm gonna that's a good that. get out of jail free card yeah um but i guess most excited most thing i'm most excited for would be bc bike race yeah. which is in early july nice so i'll miss crusher which Good trade, it's, in my yeah. perspective, as a seven-day seven-day mountain bike yeah. race. Uh, you done that one so before? No, nice. And that was the other reason. It's like been on my bucket list for yeah, I don't know how long <laughs> since it since it started. Uh, but we'll. I'm heading up there with uh, my girlfriend Lauren and and the dog, and we'll be up from mid June to mid July, basically. So we're gonna spend some time in. In BC, just hanging out. She's a big rock climber, so she wants to do some rock climbing, and I might just not do that. (laughs) I'm still learning. I'm trying to trying to figure it out. But um, so yeah, that'll be fun trip and and racing uh, month. So and how does one? Balance a ten-hour bike race straight into a. Uh, is the back forty a stage race or just one day? It's one day, but it's kind of enduro format, oh, right so it's on. got three three timed stages. Yeah, and I think they do that because it crosses the freeway, like to <laughs> to go that to the wise. like different trail yeah. networks. Um, so it's an endurance race. Like yeah. you still are timed on the climbs, but. Yeah, um, it's a cumulative time in the the one day. So, and I guess my question is kind of dumb because I feel like it's not like it's not binary. It's not as though you have either endurance power or punchy mountain bike power because you can certainly do them both. And people mm-hmm. who are going to do well, I said this with Cole. I'm like, if you're going to do well in like a six hour race, you're going to do well in a ten hour race be it on a mountain bike or well, especially on a mountain bike so I don't know I feel like the question often comes up like whoa how are these mountain bikers doing so well in long term long distance gravel races and it just seems intuitive that they would in my opinion what do you think I think well we we talked about this the other day too that the mountain bike background like growing up racing mountain bikes you kind of you have to have that punchiness mm-hmm. um, a lot of vo2 and repeatability on the the super high intensity stuff and then all you have like to do a six hour race you just need more volume <laughs> more of it yeah <laughs> just do do longer and then i think and whether i do ha- i have a degree in exercise physiology but i don't remember <laughs> a whole lot yeah, of it. It's been, it's been a answer. while since I really, uh, really used it. But I think when you are doing a lot of that VO2 for a 
a long time. Yeah. I think it'll come back quicker and you retain that. Sure. Um, so when you start adding volume, you don't have to work as much on that top end. Yeah. And I think I used to call it the the no drop or the what was it drop uh, drop resistance training and it's, it's like all the 3030s and the yeah. VO2 stuff because it's pretty hard to get dropped when you can just yeah. ride VO2 for two minutes a bunch of times yeah like you can always get back on you're <laughs> and suffering then it's, but you it's can the endurance get back on. That, it's the endurance that you need to add to fill in that yeah. that middle bit but I feel like if especially in the races under four or five hours, it's really hard to drop a mountain biker because mm-hmm. they're so used to being able to just go, yeah. go and go and go. And if they fill in the endurance side, then um, then it's even even more of a challenge. But that's my that's my educated opinion without actually reading any science. That's perfect. <laughs> so let's go full circle in an effort to wrap up and get you enjoying your, your day off the bike. If everything goes absolutely perfectly and you're motivated and ready to put in a good result, where do you suppose you'd be one week from today? Race day, unbound. What are you capable of? Man, I feel like... Well, it's hard because I've never been in the top 20 yeah. or in the past two years um, I was telling you I finished an hour down both years last year was an hour faster than the year before sure. and was like I think 20 spots further back than I was in 2021 yeah. with the same time gap um, but man it, if I can if I can ride smart which is my biggest challenge <laughs> spoken like a true mountain biker um yeah i definitely ride like a mountain biker uh-huh. like, uh, um i think top 10 i think i can be there and if it just like everything falls into place it, i think the podium's a possibility that's huge i think that's awesome we'll see this race is like it. you're the cards have to fall mm-hmm. exactly right um and i have to use my use my brain and not just my legs <laughs> yeah well i hope you have a smart race a good race a mechanical free race a race with whatever weather suits you the best um yeah i'm excited to see how it all shakes out how about Me too. okay? Let's break down the final three questions, of which they're wildly important. Okay. You've certainly ridden your bike all over the place in the world. What is the number one place? No, your favorite place to ride a bike. What is the number one place that you would like to ride that you've never ridden, and with whom would you love to go for a bike ride? Favorite place. I'm just gonna have to go for Durango. There's so much, Heart so strings. much good stuff there. Yeah. yeah, and you don't have to drive to it. Sure, you just go ride back door. Yeah, I love it. Um, where would I like to ride? I guess BC. Perfect. I've never ridden in Whistler. I'm going to do it. Perfect so, answer. Um, <clears throat> yeah, 
and Whistler Squamish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear it's amazing. You get to go experience it in a very short period of time. Yep. With whom would you like to go for a bike ride? That I haven't already been for a bike it ride. It can be with. anything. This is the okay. wide open one. Fictitious, <laughs> nonfiction, living, deceased. A lot of there's a lot of people. There's a lot <laughs> I'd of great love people to go. go for a bike ride. I have been for a ride with my dad, mm-hmm. and I'd love to go do that again because yeah. he's got these. Uh, they're called. It's called a bowhead, mm-hmm. and it's basically this like trike nice. thing, and he can ride like most single track like chill chill single track without trees that are too tight um and he he's had that for i think two years now and he's got the skills and and stuff on that so So awesome it's super fun to be able to ride bikes with him again because it's been it had been 10 years dang since because he he kind of helped get me into the sport right he's like not the sport but riding bikes he was like yeah always always stoked to go for a ride so yeah it's cool to go ride with him in a in a different way sure now um it looks different but it's still yeah cool to still get riding. out on the trails again that's so awesome so perfect answer well not Sunday. even 10 a.m you got a good day of chilling out and head of you the sun's not baking yeah it's good. you at its finest See if there's a tornado that comes yeah, through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Last year, Payson and I were at Jimmy John's for dinner. Yeah. Because that was the only thing open on, I don't know, it was like Monday Probably night or like something. like Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, Sunday. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and we walk in there and the, it's like pretty windy. And he was sleeping in the RV like just off of Main Street. Right. <laughs> and the the employees like, you think it's going to tornado tonight or just hail? <laughs> we looked at each other, kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you're not from here, I. <laughs> right. And they, they said when the if the sky turns green, you're either gonna get, or like the clouds, like it kind of gets this puke green yeah. color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then it's it's either a tornado or it's gonna hail. And we looked at each other like, mm-hmm. and then your phone's doing the like, like tornado watch. Yeah, And we were like the news was on the TV in there. Uh-huh. And I was like, I've never been somewhere that has tornadoes, and I really don't <laughs> want to experience what a tornado is like. Sure. like. Where do we go? Right, where's the Payson's in the RV. I guess there's one in the theater. There's a tornado okay. shelter. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, the, the people I was staying with were like, you guys can, Payson's welcome to come over. And we were like, we both had bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had yeah, ridden yeah. to get dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we are like, outside the rain's blowing sideways. It's like, aye, aye, aye. so I don't want that. No, not at all. <laughs> but anyway, that was my story to finish off the nice, the nice cool day in Emporia that could turn into. <laughs> this is the, the most uh, atypical weather we've experienced it is cool and overcast, but. Who knows what that means? Maybe a yeah. tornado's rolling in. We'll go to Jimmy John's and find ourselves in a bunker. Hunker <laughs> down. <laughs> well, shoot, Ryan, I appreciate the time. I thank you very much for the yeah, opening was, up and the insight. And this very was much awesome. appreciated. Thanks for having me. Last minute. Like Last minute <laughs> Friday pod. morning. When love it. You want to do something before yeah. before the circus comes to town. Exactly. It worked out. So. Sweet. Cool.